Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So a couple of weeks ago, we started chapter eight of Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby Under a Microscope. Then we were talking about blocks, and today it's lambdas and procs. Ugh, that was f- such a funny rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> that was an amazing rhyme. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find this week's reading? Okay, so it's been a few weeks since we've uh, done Ruby mm-hmm. Book Club. And so for me, I had to put my Ruby under a microscope hat back on. I was like, oh, crap, this is like... This is real. This is dense and, you know, technical and stuff. So first, like, a, an adjustment. Uh, but I'm also kind of sick, if you can't tell. I'm a little stuffy. So I had to, like, work really hard to understand things more than usual. So I think it was harder for those reasons than it really should have been. Also, like, lambdas and procs aren't really things I'm honestly very comfortable with. I don't use very often. So I had to remind myself, like, what they were and what the significance was. So there were, like, a couple layers of of things to get through to really um, – to, to have the information here really sink in. What about you? Definitely the same with you with regards to jumping back in. It's so funny how you take a couple of weeks off and just being like, wait, what's YARV again? What's the YARV mm-hmm. internal stack? <laughs> what's the RB control frame? What's in that? It, yeah, so it, it just goes to show this idea of continuous learning and revisiting things because very quickly you, your brain just forgets, you know, you our, yeah. our brains are wired to repeatedly go over things. So yeah, I struggled with that a bit. And I think like you, it it seemed harder than it was. But, but by the time I got to the end of the reading, because this would have been my second time going over it, the pieces start to fall into place again. But we'll see when we start going through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get started with lambdas and procs, treating a function as a first class citizen. So here we're looking at listing 8-10, and it's called Using Lambda in Ruby. And here we are looking at an example of how we might use Lambda. We have a method called def message underscore function. And here the first line in this method is defining the variable string, or str. And str is equal to the quick brown fox. Then we have our lambda, lambda do pipe animal, close pipe, And then we have puts, and then we have an interpolated string. So we have hashtag (laughs) bracket str jumps over the lazy hashtag bracket animal. So we're interpolating str and we're interpolating animal. And then we end the lambda and then we end the method. Then we actually use that method. So we call function underscore value equals message underscore function. So we're saving the output of message function to a variable called function value. And then we actually call the function value. So we do function value dot call and we give it the argument of dog, which is a string. So Pat asks us to step through this code very carefully. And at step one, we're defining a method called message function, which we already talked about. Then we talk about how inside we are creating a local variable, str, which we talked about. Then we have the lambda on the third line, and we're passing in that block. And inside of that block, we are printing that quick brown fox string with the interpolated variables. However, Pat calls out that when we do this and when we call the message function, it doesn't immediately actually show that string. Instead, what we have to do is actually call 
function value, that's when we actually get to see the string. And so Pat calls this an example of treating a function as a first-class citizen. And I've heard of that before, but I I couldn't remember the context for it or what it really meant. You know what it might have been? It might have been when closure was really popular because that sort of phrase was going around a lot where, oh, what's so great about closure? Oh, in closure, functions are first-class citizens. I don't know if that rings any bells. That does. Yeah, I still don't know what it means. But yes, that, that context definitely sounds more familiar. Yeah, I think it basically means that it's it's a thing in and of its own right. And that's why you can assign a variable to it, as opposed to being a side effect. You know, it's something that has its own API almost. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it made me wonder, when would it and we can get to this later, but it kind of made me wonder, like, what does it look like to treat a function as a second class citizen? Mm. You know, like, like how do we how do you down because I always thought functions and methods and stuff were, were pretty important anyway so it made me think like oh how do we downgrade how we treat a function but we can get into that a little bit later and so Pat then asks what happens when we actually call lambda and he has a bunch of questions which are all very important how does we convert the block into a data value because after all we are like saving it as its own value and what does it mean to treat this block as a first class citizen which we talked about as well and so here uh, he also asks a bunch of more internally questions so about like the structure does it return an rb block t structure is it an rb lambda have we talked about rb lambda t structures before no he's he's like assuming that that's a thing yeah in figure eight dash 10 he's almost like do these things exist right yeah 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 exactly exactly um so figuring out you know what is happening just in our ruby code but also what's happening internally cool and so pat says that before we can look at those questions we should learn a bit about the stack versus heap memory so ruby saves our data in two places on the stack or in the heap So stacks are something that we've seen before, and we know that Ruby saves the local variables here, return values, arguments for each of the methods. And he says that values on stack only live for as long as that particular method is running. So as soon as a method returns, that stack frame is deleted by YARV. However, there's also something called the heap, and this is more long-lived, so it's for things that we're going to need for a while. And it's not tied to the lifecycle of a method. And so what happens here is that values on the heap remain valid for as long as there's a reference to it. So Ruby has this thing called garbage collection, which periodically tidies up values. And Ruby's garbage collection system looks for values in the heap that are no longer referred to anywhere in your program. Therefore, they're not needed. And so it deletes that stuff. And Pat says, you know, this is not unique to Ruby. And this was cool because I've always heard of stack versus heap. It's quite a computer science-y thing. Mm -hmm. And so this was quite a cool way of just really simply explaining what the difference was. But this concept is used in Lisp and C. And and then, you know, Pat's pointer, remember, Ruby is a C program. And it's funny because I don't think he's explicitly said it like that before in the book that, oh, yeah, Ruby is a C program. I don't know, I thought that was quite an interesting way to talk about yeah. Ruby. That's true. Yeah, I don't think we have explicitly said yeah, that. Yeah, he said it's written in C. And it's implemented in C, but not to think of Ruby as a C It feels program. different. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but the, another thing that Pat says about the difference between stack and heap is that in the stack, we only have references to data. And we've heard of this before in 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 the fact that 
on the stack, it's value pointers only. And once again, we have that thing of for simple values, symbols and constants like nil, true, false, the, the reference is the actual value. And remember, we had that conversation before of when does it stop being simple? Mm-hmm. And then Pat says for all other data types, then the value is appointed to the C structure, like our object or our string. And we learn that the values themselves or those, those R objects are saved in the heap. And so now we're going to look at another example to understand this better. Okay, so now we're going to look at <laughs> look at a closer look <laughs> at how Ruby saves a string value. So we're going to start by looking at figure 8-11. And we start on the right where we have a stack frame for top level function. And it's called RB control frame T. We've seen a bunch of these RB control frames, frame T's for a while now. And it's pointing to our YARV internal stack. And there's, I can't remember why I don't like this ladder image. Can you remind me why I don't like the ladder graphic? It's because... I remember last time being like, what the hell is this? And I was very annoyed. Yeah, it's because in the reading that we did a couple of weeks ago, the it was not very clear that each ladder represented a different stack. So we were looking at this like ladder and we were like, oh, that's two stacks and now there's three. It was part of, it was also part of a confusing diagram where Pat had included some things and not included other things per each diagram. So it was just all one mm-hmm. big confusing thing. Yeah, I still don't like them. Okay, so on the left, we have uh, we have the Yarv internal stack, and there's like this little ladder-looking thing, and we have a pointer from our RB control frame T structure to that place in the Yarv internal stack. Okay, so next in figure 8-12, we see what happens with that local variable str. So this time, we have our RB control frame T structure, but instead of it being the stack frame for the top-level function, this one is a stack frame for the message function. And so we have a pointer, and that is pointing to our local variable str, which is part of our YARV internal stack, and it's on the second stack from the bottom. So we have the first stack and then we have the second one and it's the second one where we see our str local variable so now we want to look even closer at the actual str variable and how it stores the quick brown fox so we have the r string structure and that's really where we have the actual value of str stored and we have a pointer str that points to that r string structure So we have two pieces here. We have the pointer and then we have the actual value saved in the rstring structure. So when I first looked at this, I was thinking, okay, so where where are all these things in relation to each other? Because in figure 8-12, we have like the two stacks and this local str variable and the rb control frame t that's referring to the message function. And then just now we talked about simply the str value so my first question was okay where does this fit into that yarv internal stack stuff so here we can see that and see where that all goes in figure 8-14 so if we try and pull that picture all together we have on the right our rb control frame t structure for our message function That's pointing to the YARV internal stack where we see the local str. And that local str is a pointer. And this is the part where it looks weirder than I think anything else we've seen so far. Because we have a line drawn where everything we've talked about so far is in the stack. But 
the pointer is pointing to an R string structure where we actually have the value of the quick brown fox, and that R string structure is located in the heap. So we're kind of in a kind of in a different world mm -hmm. than we are used to being in. Yeah. And my guess, based on what we talked about briefly with like garbage collection and stuff, is that by having these two separate with a stack in the heap, Ruby can maybe more easily collect garbage and free objects from things that it doesn't really need because all it needs to do all it needs to do is figure out like are there any pointers mm -hmm. and if there aren't any pointers that point back inside the heap then it could just be like okay i guess there's nothing there's no pointer so we don't really need this stuff mm -hmm. anymore so once we lose that local str pointer the garbage collection can go into our heap and go oh that r string structure with a quick brown fox that's not being used we don't need it we can throw it away exactly so now we're going to look at how Ruby creates a lambda. So Pat brings back this phrase, treating a function as a first-class citizen. And what that means is we treat functions or code as a data value, saving them into variables, passing them as arguments. So what the lambda or proc keyword does is it converts a block into a data value, thereby treating functions as a first-class citizen. So Pat brings back the code from example 8-10 and example 8-12 so I'm not going to read it again but it's the same lambda do animal that puts the the string that we know and love the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog and so Pat asks us that if we look at the part of the code where we see puts and then the interpolation of str and we also look at the part of the code outside of def message function where we call dog and we get the string we expect. How is it that outside of message function, so i.e. the yar stack relating to that method has been popped off and is gone now, how is it that we're still accessing the value of str? So what Pat says is that when we use the Lambda keyword, what Ruby does is it copies all of the contents of the current Yao stack frame and puts it on the heap alongside the R string structure. So we've got figure 8-17 to show what happens in Ruby when we call Lambda. So I'm just going to quickly explain the diagram and then go back to giving a bit more detail of what's happening. So we've got halfway through the diagram, there's a dotted line differentiating the stack and the heap. And in the stack section at the top, on the right, we've got the RB control frame T structure, which is the stack frame for the message function. And there's a pointer all the way down into the heap to something called an RB proc T structure. And we'll talk about that in a minute. To the left, there is the Yav internal stack with the two stack frames and then the locals table with the STR pointer in there. And that points down to a copy of the Yav stack frame, which lives in the heap. So we see another one of those ladders and we also see a copy of the string pointer. There's also something in the heap called an RBMT structure and that points to the copy of the R of internal stack. And inside the RBPROCT structure, we've got an RBBLOCKT structure, which has the instruction sequence, which we know from some weeks ago are the Yav instructions for the, the code in the block. And we also have the environment pointer, which points to the copy of the Yav internal stack, which is all within the heap. We also have a thing called mfal that points to the rbmt structure and we also have something called islambda. So to go in a bit more detail as to what all those things are, so we know we've got a new copy of the stack frame in the heap and there's a second reference to 
the R string structure, which is the copy of str. And so that means because that's there, when message function returns, the R string structure won't be deleted because of the str copy in the heap. But there's also the two new objects. So there's the rbmt one, and that's the C structure that's that passes as is an internal environment object, and we should think about it as a wrapper for the heap copy of the stack. So essentially, it's a way that we reference that heap copy. And we're gonna look at that some more in chapter nine, because we access this using the binding class, and I was like, ooh, binding.pry, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the other thing created is the Ruby proc object, and that's represented by the rbproct structure, and this is the return value of the lambda key word. So it's when we call the message function function, it's what is returned. And so Pat's also draws our attention to the fact that there is an rbprocT structure in the rbprocT structure with the isec and ep. And so he says, hey, think of a proc as a Ruby object that wraps up a block. And so that makes sense. The other thing is that the ep in this block that's wrapped in the proc I hope I'm making sense, <laughs> points to the new heap copy of the stack frame. And so that's how when the code is run, it's got access to the variables that we need. And there's also this internal value called is lambda, and it's set to true because we've used the lambda keyword. And if we'd used a proc, it would have been set to false. And so this is a bit where I was like, aha, this is why there's a difference between lambda and procs. I knew there was, but Pat says, mm -hmm. just think of procs and lambdas as the same for now. Don't worry about it which I did appreciate because I always forget the difference between lambda procs and blocks. But I feel like yeah. by reading this chapter, I've now at least got the difference between blocks on one side and then lambdas and procs on the, the other side different. And then once I really get that, I can think about the difference between lambdas and procs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So next we talk about how Ruby calls lambda. So we go back to our initial example with def message function. And here we're looking at listing 8-13. So we have def message function, str equals the string quick brown fox. We have our lambda do animal puts str jumps over the lazy animal with str and animal being interpolated. And then we finish that method. And then we call function value equals message function. So we're calling our message function method. And then we do function value.call and we give it the argument of dog, which is a string. So now Pat asks, okay, so what happens when message function returns at number one? So Pat tells us that we can treat this the same way that we're treating our str variable because we're still saving it to um to a pointer. So the lambda or proc object is the actual return value for the message function when we actually call the message function method. And so what we need to have is a reference to that lambda. And so we're going to save it in a variable, local variable called function value. And so if we see what that looks like in figure 8-18, we have our two worlds, I guess. We have our stack world at the top and our heap section at the bottom. And we start with the RB control frame T, which is our structure for the outer code stack frame. And then we're pointing to the YARV internal stack, where very similar to having that local str value, we now have a local function value. Uh, and that function value is a pointer that's pointing to an rbprocT structure, which is in our heap. And that rbprocT structure is uh, pointing to our rbenvt structure. And that is pointing to its own little stack, uh, where it has the str variable as well. 
Okay, so now we want to look at what it looks like for Ruby to actually execute the call method on the Ruby proc object. So we can do that in figure 8-19. So here we have our two sections, stack and heap. In the stack section, we start with our RB control frame T structure. For the stack frame for proc.calls, we're actually calling the proc at this point. And so in our Yarv internal stack, we have two stacks, and we have um, at the top one, the, the second one, I guess the, the second one from the bottom, we have our argument, and that is animal, and we also have an EP. So our EP points towards, now we're in our, in our heap world, so it points to a stack frame that has uh, str, the str variable. So then in heap, we have an rbprocT structure. So inside, we have a bunch of different stuff. We have an rbblockT structure, we have the i sequence, and then we have the EP. And then uh, in the RB proc T, this is outside of the RB block T. So we have our env val pointer, which is pointing to an RB env T structure, which is like its own standalone structure in the heap. And in that structure, we have our env pointer. And that end pointer is pointing to our stack frame, which is a copy of the uh, stack frame for proc.call. So it's the same one that we pointed to from our stack section where we were pointing from the argument animal and the EP is pointing to it. It's the same stack frame. So back in our RB proc T structure, still in our heap section, the last thing we have here is a, uh, a section called is lambda, which is a Boolean and basically says like, is this lambda? Yes or no? Indeed. Cool. So for me... This week, I'm going to give the reading a seven, I think. So I actually think it's quite cool what it's showing. I don't think it was the easiest thing to get through. And I'm also trying to compensate for the fact that we did have a few weeks off, which meant a lot of the things yeah, we just yeah. read was a bit stale. So I think six would be too low. So I'm going to give it a seven. Solid reading, new interesting things. Wasn't the easiest to get through. I think maybe the diagram's could have been clearer I'm not sure it is quite complicated that's the other thing so I think given that Pat did a good job so yeah seven what about you so that's the thing I'm trying to compensate for the fact that like I'm sick and like my head hurts and it's been a while so I'm trying to figure out like is it just me um but I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna give it a six because mm -hmm. I feel like even the the diagram specifically for me were really confusing and it was hard to it was hard I feel like there have been a lot of really great diagrams where it was really easy to match the paragraph with the picture and be like oh that's where we talked about that but this one I was like wait a minute which one is this one and what part of you know I feel like I had to do a lot more work to make those connections um so yeah I think this was this is a six for me so we want to know what did you think of the reading this week tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project see you next week cheerio